Hello, everyone, and welcome to your Christelphian Library, where we discuss Christelphian books with the goal of expanding biblical knowledge and stimulating spiritual thought. I am Brother Jacob Osborne, and today I'll be bringing you the 14th episode, during which we get to discuss the book Principles and Proverbs. This book, Principles and Proverbs, is one of the many books written by Brother Islip Collier and was published as the book we are familiar with today in 1976. However, the content was written between 1923 and 1938 and published in small sections within the Christadelphian magazine. I'm really excited to share some of my thoughts from this book with you as it was a particularly enjoyable book and is now high on my list of favorite books. What initially drew me to the book was the content or the section on the Proverbs, because the Proverbs have always been one of my favorite areas of the Bible, primarily because of the sheer abundance of education and exhortation which can be gleaned from every single verse. So as you can probably guess from the title of the book, there are two main sections within this book. The first 13 chapters are under the section on principles. Many of these chapters are titled with phrases from scripture. For example, chapter 4 is titled, The Heart is Deceitful, a quote we know to be from Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Or for another example, chapter 5, which is titled, A Lying Tongue, a quote from Proverbs 6, verse 17. Some of the other uh, chapters in this section, however, aren't titled after direct quotations from Scripture because there isn't necessarily anywhere in Scripture which states exactly word for word what the principle is, but Rather, it is a principle which can be well-established and understood through the study of Scripture. Some examples of chapters like this is chapter 2 on balance, chapter 10 on the principles of governing fellowship, or chapter 12, the meaning of sacrifice. I really loved the first page of this book. It illustrates the whole idea of principles in such a perfect and intriguing way and really caught my attention right off the bat. So it's just, it's just a short section, and I'd like to read it for you now. Principles are like stars, constant and comprehensive, but not local or particular. The pilot, with only local knowledge, may guide the ship through the well-known channel into the old port, but a knowledge of the stars is necessary when sailing in unknown seas. If a pilot should mistake a foreign port for the one he knows, and attempts to guide the vessel according to the old rules, he will bring it to disaster. Ships of various kinds have been wrecked through such mistaken confidence. Oftentimes, men have ignored principles and have applied the lessons learned in former years to circumstances that are totally different. They have even quoted the words of former leaders in a manner that would horrify such leaders could they rise from their graves and witness the application. It is sometimes a valuable exercise to turn away from the troubles and perplexities of the moment and look at the general principles. Cease for a time from strife regarding the matters which may have been agitated, which may have been agitating us most, and examine the fundamentals of the truth regarding which all should be able to agree. As you would expect, this section of the book has incredibly relevant application to everyday life. Biblical principles are something which affect just about every one of our actions, thoughts, or intents. As the book explains, the principles which we live by will form and guide our entire way of life. I'll briefly mention two of my favorite chapters from this section on principles. 
Chapter 3 talks about how the human heart has a tendency to satisfy itself by being convinced that every action, belief, and rule they uphold is due to zeal for God. For example, the Pharisees who brought to Christ the woman caught in adultery felt fully justified in wanting to stone her because they attributed it to the zeal they had for the law. As is discussed later in the chapter, it is very easy for us to put emphasis on relatively small duties, or maybe little hobby horses, and yet we neglect the weightier matters of the law. The passage Brother Islip Collier uses to explain this point is in Matthew. Reading from page 20 of the book. To his disciples, the Lord gave similar instruction. The 25th chapter of Matthew gives more consecutive teaching on this subject than has been generally recognized. The very emphatic lesson concerning positive virtues follows the parable of the talents. What are the real talents? Are they not the opportunities to give to the least of Christ's servants the life-giving bread and water and the protecting garment? In the parable, the one who hid the money and brought upon himself the disapproval of his Lord is not represented as a waster who had spent his talent in having a good time in service to the flesh. He hid the money because he feared his Lord as a hard man who would want to reap where he had not sown. It was only logical that this servant should be condemned out of his own mouth. If his Lord was a hard man expecting to reap where he had not sown, surely he would, have, he would demand to reap where he had sown. The unprofitable servant apparently hid the talent he had received and then puzzled his brains trying to produce something for which his Lord had not asked, but which it was assumed that, being a hard man, he would demand. Is not the history of Christendom full of such anomalies? The fruits for which Christ asks have not been rendered, but tremendous efforts have been made to produce fruit where Christ has never sown. The second chapter I especially enjoyed was chapter 9. In this chapter, Brother Islip Collier talks about keeping all our short-term objectives in line with the true objective. And he uses the scriptural example of a plowman who sets a mark on the other side of the field and uses that as his target as he plows to ensure all his rows are straight. And this, of course, relates to how we should view our service to God and how we follow after the example of Christ. As is mentioned in the book, though, we all have many different goals in life. But what we need to ensure is that all of the goals we have in life are in perfect line with our goal of following after Christ. Because if they in any way pull us to one side or the other, they are hindering us from our discipleship. This principle is one which I found really helped me uh, be able to balance and prioritize uh, different things in my life. Even if you don't have time to read the entire book, these chapters are written in a way where one can be read totally separate from the rest and still be very beneficial. So at the very least, uh, go through and pick out a few chapters which interest you, as I'm sure they will benefit you. And hopefully, they'll maybe even whet your appetite for the rest of the book. The second section on Proverbs I've found to be equally as powerful. It's written in a way which makes the lessons from these Proverbs come alive. Brother Islip would take the lesson from the proverb he was writing on at that time and would show how the lesson might apply to a given situation, and he would discuss how that situation should be treated. Because of this, I think that this book could be very helpful with things like uh, dealing with family or ecclesial issues, uh, dealing with strife, 
battling with slothfulness, understanding the hearts of men, true friendship, and much more. And again, I'd like to quickly mention two chapters from this section, which I really enjoyed. Chapter three of the second section talks about how wisdom and knowledge, specifically the difference of these two. I guess I'd never really given it much thought before, but wisdom and knowledge had always been very similar things in my mind. Of course, if I had stopped to think about it or given it any thought, I would have recognized the differences, but it wasn't until reading through this that I actually did so. These two elements should go hand in hand, which is why they're so often categorized together. Because having one without the other as a disciple is virtually useless. You could have all the knowledge in the world, but without the wisdom, you would be nothing more than an information stand. And of course, the opposite is true as well. It's important to have knowledge, but key that we have the wisdom to know how to use it. Another chapter which I recommend spending some time on is chapter 4, where Brother Islip talks about the heart. There's a great section here on self-control, another section on what it means to keep your heart, and other helpful messages, but I'll leave you to read those on your own time. Every chapter within this book contains something which you'll be able to use every day from now forward. It will help you focus on your discipleship, help you refine your character, improve your relationship with your ecclesial family, and vastly benefit your service and relationship with God. Thank you again for tuning in. It was a pleasure to be able to share this book with you. And don't forget to come back next week where Brother Caleb will be reviewing the book, The Education of Job.